take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Everybody, welcome to Life in a Red, and I'm pleased to welcome back my good friend Caroline. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having and me back, Ryan. We were, we, I had, we had this whole plan. I was like, okay, elections coming up. I want you on. We're going to talk about the platforms. We're going to go into depth and and do what the leaders seem to not want to do. And we're going to talk about <laughs> actual issues and and what par- parties are promising. And then, and then, last night, Justin Trudeau controversy. Blackface, brownface, uh, all these kind of words being th- what what happened? What I mean, we know what happened, but what's going on? <laughs> so basically, last night, Time magazine published on its website a picture of Justin Trudeau wearing brownface from 2001 when he would have been a high school teacher out in British Columbia. Now, apparently, this was an Arabian themed night party. And he dressed up as Aladdin. And in the picture, it's not just his face, it's his hands as well. He's also wearing a turban. So he gave an apology. He had an emergency press conference on his plane. And he also mentioned that at another point, he dressed up as Harry Belafonte. He said he wore makeup, which I'm going to assume is coded for I wore blackface. Mm. He says his apology. He says he should have known better at the time, but he didn't know better. Then this morning... Global breaks the story of a video that shows him in blackface in a different instance wearing jeans and a hoodie. And when he apologizes this time, he actually said something along the lines of he can't be sure if there were other instances or not. Mm. So that's where we are right now. And many, many people in this country have a lot of opinions about this and what this means. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. uh, So I'm glad that you're on here. So we already had this and you were coming on and this broke Mm -hmm. because... You're a lot more of an informed voice than someone like me spouting off my mouth on it. Um, I'll, I'll give my take on it. Um, you know, when I saw this come out, I definitely kind of thought to myself, it's not my place to think if this is racist or not. Um, this It doesn't affect me in that way, so I'm not going to comment on it. If people who are marginalized or, or people of color choose to think it is, I mean, like, that's that's what they have. If they choose not to, again, that that's also their right. Not any of my business. Um, when I look back at, when you look back at, you know, contextually, the, the world and what it was, was this racist at the time? Yeah. And he, I think good on him that he recognized that. And when he made his apology last night and today, I thought there was sincerity. And I felt at least, you can, again, choose not to believe it. There was sincerity, humility, and you can generally tell he was like, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm, I'm a fucking idiot. Sorry. Like, you know, I, I, I at least felt that from him. Um, does that excuse him? Well, that's kind of up to each individual Canadian if if they want to be like, you know what, it, like, it's okay. Did you learn? Or if they're like, You're, it's not okay. Um, that's not for me to decide. But I thought it was good of him to immediately apologize um and and own it he, he didn't really try to make excuses um and he he just asked for forgiveness so you know what on that hand i thought it was good i think again you don't have to choose to think this way if you do not want to forgive like and if you're again a person who's affected by this because you you 
are a part of a marginalized community, that's fine. And, and I, I support your right to choose that. As a, at least as a white person, I think even though he, he did something very stupid and, and racist, inappropriate, that there needs to be some sort of forgiveness, um, at least on behalf, like to just be like, okay, like you made your apology and maybe it's not forgiveness is not the right word, but like kind of like just be like, like, okay, thank you for apologizing. And then just kind of being like, did you learn from it? Have you done anything before then? That's kind of my take on it. Um, I don't like the whole holding people up to a crucifix and, you know, calling for their head and, and burn them at the stake type mentality for things they've done in the past that, you know, for the most part, I mean, there's obviously certain cases. What What's your kind of take on it? I mean, that that's a, a small town white boy's head uh, just thinking about it. You know, you again, I'm glad you're on because you know a lot more about this stuff, not only politics, but you also deal with um, in your career with, you know, um, indigenous people and First Nations and Inuit and Métis. Well, you know, so you have an experience on maybe how this could affect other people more, even though yourself. Right. So first of all, I should say I'm actually a small town white girl. So we do have that in common. (laughs) And I'm very fortunate that I get to cover indigenous issues and work with indigenous colleagues and interact with a variety of indigenous peoples throughout my job and that is a wonderful thing that I get to do I would say that there were a few things you said that I think maybe I'm viewing a little differently so one of the things you said was about holding somebody to a crucifix in certain cases this is a certain case this is one of the highest jobs in the land Mm -hmm. and I think that when you are applying for a job that is one of the highest and the most powerful the standards of which you need to meet it should be equally high politics is a dirty game And people have gotten out of the game for a lot less than that. So I think that, number one, he's our prime minister. We absolutely should hold him to a high account. The other thing I would say is I've seen a lot of white people and white journalists Mm. who in 24 hours have very quickly become race relation experts or experts on racism. And I would say to that that it's an interesting commentary on the state of our media. So first of all, last week when the writ was issued... And Trudeau's campaign plane took off. Tonda McCharles from Toronto Star tweeted out an image. Ryan, did you see this image of all of the press reporters on the plane? No, I don't think I did. Every single journalist was white. Mm. And so when Trudeau had his emergency press conference last night, I found that some of the questions lacked the nuance because I would probably lack the nuance too in the immediacy of looking at this, right? Right. I think somebody pointed out that there were really some questions that should have been asked when he said he didn't know it was racist at the time nobody asked when did you realize it was racist questions like that weren't posed the other thing i would say is that and especially to those white journalists and to the white people who i think have maybe been brushing aside this issue i would just be careful number one not to minimize blackface and how it's been used as a tool of racial oppression both in canada and the states I would also urge you to seek out the voice of a person of color in Canada who had something to say about this issue. For instance, Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, gave a very emotional statement where he actually got choked up. And if people read his memoir, Love and Courage, he talks about being bullied and facing racism to the point that he took uh, martial arts classes and it was in martial arts classes where he was sexually abused. And all of that can go back to racism, right? Mm -hmm. And this is one of our potential leaders of our country. If you read Chatelaine, a girl I went to school with named Radia Chowdhury, she wrote a really beautiful 
piece today about her experience as a racialized woman. And she said, you know, it's very easy for somebody like Trudeau to slip into the skin of a person of color. But does he have high rates of missing and murdered? Is he constantly getting pulled over for checks at the airport? Is he constantly getting carded by police? And she was saying that's what it can be like at times to live in this skin. I think that's a really important point of view. Mm -hmm. You could listen to Elamine Abdul Mahmoud, who hosts uh, Party Lines along with Rosie Barton. Yeah, I was I was reading some of his tweets today. And he had yeah. some really, really great things to say. And then you could also check out Canada Land Shortcuts, which came out today, where Archie Mann, who also hosts Canada Land Commons, came on and he spoke again about it. And I think what people need to realize, and again, especially white people, it is your right to vote however you want to vote in this country. But I think you also need to listen and learn about why so many people of color are hurting because of this. Mm -hmm. Because I think one of the things that I I thought about, and this is as somebody who's not a person of color, was that there was the Justin Trudeau who went to the airport and hugged Syrian children and made them kind of a picture of how great he is. But it was that same man who also mocked what he might have thought Syrian people were years prior. And I understand people can learn and grow, but that's a very jarring image, right? This mm -hmm. was also the man who went to India and treated it like it was some sort of costume party, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is in regards to his apology, he apologized for two incidents and then a third one broke. So I'm not really sure how strong that apology is. Mm. I think he should have said at the time, this has happened at multiple points. I do not know how many. Because I think some of the humbleness and the genuineness was lost for me when another story broke. One of the other comments he made was he said, and I, I really had trouble with this when he kind of said, you know me, I love a good costume and I love to go all in. He said something mm, along that line. I didn't hear that part. Uh -huh. Yeah, and he said that in the first apology. And look, people are nervous on the fly. Mm. I've always been of the opinion that he's often not great off the cuff. And I personally don't find him great in situations like this. This is not Justin Trudeau at his best. Yeah. Um, but... That's a horrible, horrible comment because that also minimizes what it is that he did. And so for him to kind of say, I should have known better and I didn't, but also I love a good costume, kids. Like this isn't a cute Halloween costume with your family. You're not dressing up as you're not dressing up as a Star Wars character this time. Right. Like those are very different things. Mm -hmm. And I think that he needed to treat it differently. The other thing I would say is that he has made a lot of his career on being our woke feminist prime minister. And if you're going to call yourself that, you need to hold yourself to a rigorous standard again, right? And I think that part of feminism, especially as a white ally, to most people is that you don't just get a pass because you label it, right? You need to be that harder on yourself. Mm -hmm. Those are a few of my thoughts about all of that. But if there's one thing I could take away from that, please listen to the voice of one Canadian person of color and hear what they had to say about that. Yeah. No, I and like I said, 100%. I, the the one thing when I, when I so what I'm trying to understand all this mm -hmm. and I, I really try to take some time today to understand mm -hmm. the gravity mm -hmm. of it because as as a white person I I don't know mm -hmm. I don't understand right mm -hmm. like that I don't think the the consensus is there among the community whether it's truly racist or not I saw a lot of different points of view. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, I think it's up to each individual person and however they interpret it, like that, yeah, that's your right. And I'm not here to tell you it's right or wrong. But if we're going to come collectively as a, as a society and decide, okay, this is, this is racism and this is not like, how do we start 
there still seems to be some blurred lines. I think we all have some universal understanding of things that we all are like, mm-hmm. yes. But then there's things like this, the the blackface costume that, you know, uh, granted a lot of dumb white people, <laughs> they, they comment on it, absolutely. Um, but I think there's still... I've seen some, and I know for a lot of people, it's not gray. It's black and white. This is and it isn't. And again, I, I want to emphasize the point that I'm not trying to say it isn't or it isn't, but that there's still some seems to be some gray area behind it. And it's really hard to navigate right now what is considered racism and what isn't as we start hearing from people, marginalized people finally, right? With the rise of social media and media and YouTube and podcasts and all that stuff that we're finally hearing those voices. And we're, we're, we're finding out as a society that like, no, all these things we might have thought it's okay is definitely not okay. In a case like this, some people are like, oh, it's it was okay. A lot of people are like, it's not okay, right? It's just, it's hard to navigate the gravity of it. You know, and I don't know where we're at with it. This is a conversation we have again and again. We're talking about this as Halloween is nearing. And that is, I feel like we have had this conversation for so many years where every single year on Halloween, people of color have to say, hey, my culture is not a costume. Mm-hmm. Hey, like you don't get to be like a sexy version of me. Hey, don't do this. And it's to me, I do look at this as something that I think by now we should understand it's racist regardless of when it happens. Like, I think in 2019, we could look at these things and say, okay, that was racist. The prime minister himself said it was. Yeah. Justin Trudeau said that on his plane last night. He said he did believe what he did was racist. So I think, number one, you heard it from his mouth. We do. I I think this is something that I would argue for the most part is largely believed to be racist. And I think we kind of get down this dangerous line. Like, last year on the Today Show, Megyn Kelly had a very disturbing panel where she talked about blackface for Halloween and kind of said like, well, Halloween's supposed to be this fun time where you can be what you want to be. Why couldn't we do blackface? And she had an all white panel and the show eventually came off air. Blackface again is rooted in oppression. It's rooted in stereotypes and caricatures and a very ugly part of Canada and America. And and we need to know like that is a racist act. So I think for me, there's no blurring there. Um, I think that, that's we we know what that is and we have to we have to look at it as such yeah yeah it's i i don't disagree at all it's just i as a person trying to understand you know what what just again just trying to understand the gravity towards it and i'm looking like you said to those voices of what you know people of color so i can understand the experience and get where they're all Mm -hmm. coming from and i agree I agree that it, it it's inappropriate and racist. It's just trying to find where that line is because it doesn't seem to be a, a universal consensus. Like some other things that we traditionally would have viewed as racist are. And I think, especially with people who, again, now that the world is rapidly changing with, with new voices being added and, and being heard and and, you know, that people who are used to that traditional sense aren't able to keep up with it and this isn't a defense but they're they're scared of it and and they immediately dig their heels in and, and want to be on the be on the defensive and then and, and then attack right they feel like they're being attacked they don't want to be seen as racist even though they may have wore blackface they're like i'm not racist i don't hate them but then right like 
it's just this line that I don't think is clearly defined yet. And yeah. it's, it's, it's just, I don't want to use, it's not interesting. It's, it's difficult. It's a diff, these are difficult conversations to have. And even as two white people talking about it, I would love to have another person and uh, God knows I'm trying to have people on to have that discussion. Um, I went back and talked to uh, my friend um, Carrington um, a couple months ago and we talked about, you know, she's indigenous and, and um, talked about all those things. And I, I got to ask those questions, which was great, but it's just every time I, I turn on social media, it's like this line is being drawn. I'm like, I don't know exactly where it is. And it's it's difficult to navigate. Well, and like you said, it is not for us to draw the line, but it is for us to understand that line, right? Mm -hmm. I think, too, part of the problem is that, especially in Canada and in the States, we view racism as a historic thing, right? We're like, residential schools were so long ago. Jim Crow was so long ago. Well, the last residential school actually closed in 1996. I was born then. I don't view myself as a historical document, right? Mm -hmm. Something like the 60 scoop, something like the millennial scoop, something like the forced sterilization of indigenous women. These are all current things. These are all things that people are continuing to experience the trauma and the impacts of. Mm -hmm. That's part of a racist structure. Mm -hmm. It's the same in the States. I also think people have a hard time reflecting on themselves and if they've had done any actions that are racist or if they've acted in ways that are racist. And what I do appreciate that Justin Trudeau said was I appreciated him saying it was racist because I think people often have this caricature of what they think a racist person is, probably someone from exactly. where you and I grew up. That's what I mean, right? Like, and I think that yeah. for that reason, people aren't able to look and see that maybe you made a racist comment, right? That was a racist thing. That doesn't make you that caricature, but that does mean that you've participated in racism and you've participated in upholding that structure. Mm -hmm. And that's where that defensiveness does tend to come in. Yeah. Does being involved in a racist act or doing racist things make you a racist necessarily? Many people tell you, yeah. yeah. Many people tell you, yes. Even if it was 20 years ago and you've done a lot of things to try to... One of the things I thought about when this came up is when you look at someone who say there's there's a couple people who are like members of the KKK and then have since came mm -hmm. out of it and mm -hmm. then have spoken out about it and have tried mm -hmm. to stop people from going. Mm -hmm. Does that still make them racist? You know what I mean? It's just, you know, I'm not the one to answer that, yeah. but I do know that there are some when I did my human rights degree, there are some thinkers who would tell you that based on your race, you can be racist by nature. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard one for people to get behind. But I think sometimes it's something worth considering. Mm -hmm. So like, there are people and academics and scholars who have better things to say than I do about that. But I do think one step is for those people to acknowledge what they did and to help participate to change things. Mm -hmm. So not necessarily to be the face of something. And I think part of the problem is Justin Trudeau has wanted to be the face of a movement. Mm -hmm. And when you're a face of a movement, you get you're very heavily scrutinized, right? Yeah. So that's kind of, that's what it is. And again, like I said, he's the prime minister. We should be holding him to an incredibly high standard because he set a high standard. This was the man who came in saying, it's 2015, I have a gender par cabinet. Well, guess what? It's 2019 and people aren't happy about those pictures from 2001. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Absolutely. And it's going to be interesting to see I mean, as we record this now, uh, depending when you're listening, this is like this is fresh. Like yeah. this is this is all just developed. Like mm -hmm. not 
three, four hours ago, he made his second apology after the video. Yeah. So well, by the time you're listening to this, it could be, you know, so he could have resigned. He could have done all these things. Who knows? He says he's not going to resign. Yes. So we'll, we'll see what that goes. We'll see where that goes. Just quickly before we end this conversation, to anybody, to all of the white listeners, just check in on your friends today, your friends of color today. Just see where they're at. See if they're okay. Because again, this is something that has been hurtful to a lot of people. So just check in and see how they're doing. It's a good point. Absolutely. There's been a lot of people, especially on the conservative side, mm-hmm. who all of a sudden, like you mm-hmm. said, are masters of race relations and experts on racism and what is and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Do you think this blunder is going to benefit the conservative party in any way? Um, That's a really interesting question. So this i have seen so many people kind of talking about conservative hypocrisy and i don't think any one of our governing parties are perfect at all Mm -hmm. what i would say in response to that is it's actually been the liberal party digging up old videos and lobbying them over at the conservative party right Mm -hmm. they did that with the video of andrew Scheer talking about same-sex marriage and then lo and behold the very liberal mp who did that was also on the record saying he was against same-sex marriage right they did this with abortion and with unplanned And if you're going to be throwing stones, what is it that they say about glass houses, right? So in a way, people have been very interesting in pegging the conservatives as the hypocritical party, when I would actually argue it's the liberal party's hypocrisy that is making this a lot worse for people. Progressive conservatives are having a field day with this. Mm -hmm. And for people who are truly on the left and truly progressive who vote based on racial issues and social issues, they're going to have a hard time with this, right? And for those people who maybe supported Trudeau because he promised something different, I think another key part to this, especially in a Canadian context, is that so much of his 2015 platform and his time as a prime minister was rooted in reconciliation and a commitment to reconciliation. And a lot of people voted for the first time. A lot of people put their trust in the government. Mm -hmm. A lot of public servants who we may not even know put a lot of work into this. And a lot of people of color stood behind him. And I can't imagine how they've been feeling the past few days because they must have felt like they've been used, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's the liberal hypocrisy that is making this worse. I don't know if it'll make things better for the conservatives or not. This was something I wanted to touch on. So there was a new poll from Leger that came out this week. And they actually have the liberals and the conservatives at a virtual tie right now. Liberals have 34% of the vote and the Tories have 33%. Mm. It'll be very interesting to see what the next set of polls look like. Now, on the flip side to that, the NDP and the Greens are currently fighting it out for last place, or for third place, I should say. The NDP have 12% and the Greens have 11%. Really, eh? I'm also interested to see if those numbers will change after this week as well, because Jagmeet Singh had, by all accounts, probably the strongest federal leader response to this. absolutely. So it'll be very interesting to see how everybody is reacting now in light of this, right? I think the Liberals, for the most part, were finally getting away from SNC-Lavalin, which was also rooted in the treatment of a woman of color. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is something that will rock their campaign. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you get back from it. Like, that. this is going to be news for the next, whatever it is, six weeks. Oh, Um, exactly. and, And God forbid something else comes up. This and is going to sure be news. Will. The other thing too, right, is that there are a lot. There are lots of people of color who have been standing by him for four years, right? They stood by him through electoral reform. They stood by him through the groping scandal. They stood by him through SNC Lavalin. And these are, you know, women of color. Somebody like Maria Monsef, who has horrific mentions every day. She stood by him. What's it going to be like the next time they meet in person, right? 
Or what about all of the different new candidates who are running for the Liberals today for the first time? There's a Métis candidate who's currently facing off in Andrew Shears riding in Saskatchewan. That takes a lot of courage. How's he feeling over the past few days? So I think that there are a lot of different things at play. And I'm, I'm also very interested to see how all of the liberal current sitting members of parliament will respond to this. We haven't heard from a lot of them yet. Yeah. And I would really like to hear, you know, from your Catherine McKenna's, your Christia Freelands. I'd love to hear from them what they have to say to their constituents about this issue. Do you think we will? Um, Adam Vaughn released a statement. So he's a member of parliament who's based in Toronto. Okay. And he said that he understands the statement's warranted, but he said that he's still trying to figure out what is the most helpful thing to say. And he said that he's hoping that right now everybody is safe and that people are finding a sense of community. I haven't heard a ton yet right now. I think that what's probably happening is that the liberal team's in a bit of crisis comms right now trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And again, once the, um, the mention was made that he didn't know how many pictures were there, I think they're probably trying to figure out how to approach this, right? Because this could be a very long next few days if this continues. Right. Yeah. Like, like I said, who knows what else can actually like come up? Because mm-hmm. um, now I'm sure everyone's digging. Is there more? You know, they're going through the yearbooks. They're going through like his diary. Like mm-hmm. people are probably going nuts to try to get that next scoop. Exactly. Um, and it's not just Canadian media, right? It was American media that broke. It's international. It was on BBC. So, yeah. It was on Al Jazeera. Yeah. It was. It's been everywhere. Well, and he was. The international darling, right? Yeah. People kind of knew what SNC-Lavalin was, but they didn't really care abroad. But this time, and again, right, I think this goes back to the historical and devastating impact of something like blackface or brownface. People in the States get that. Mm -hmm. And for the people who looked up to him, who probably lean progressive, this is an upsetting thing. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people, I've seen it on, at least on social media, but that regardless of what Trudeau did, it's still better than Sheer. And I really don't like making that comparison mm-hmm. because I don't think it's productive. It's not helpful. Um, and it, I think it diminishes things for, you know, pe- marginalized people, like people of color who are experiencing things by comparing it to, especially the, that LGBT speech that Sheer made. I, I don't like making the comparison. I agree. I think that we really shouldn't be doing that. And I think, like you're saying, it's very harmful to people of color to do that. One take that I heard that was similar on this that I think is one of the best takes was I just saw somebody on Facebook post that she's really mad at Trudeau. And she said it's because of him that we can no longer have those conversations about policy and platform and other party leaders. And to me, that's the right framing. So instead of saying, hey, it's on you, a marginalized person, a person of color, who who be it, to get over it and vote because we can't have sheer. I like that instead she's saying, you know what? Like, I'm mad that Justin Trudeau did this because he's the one who's taken away from it. And I think mm. if you look at that framing, that was framing that I really liked. She's saying she still cares about the issues. She wants to know, she wants to know democracy is stable. She cares about the issues that we've all been caring about, but she also understands that this has rattled people and it's not those people's fault that they're rattled. It's the perpetrator's no, yeah, fault. Absolutely not. Yeah. But the, like yet even though all of this, it's still mm-hmm. Canada is still very much to a lot of people a two party system. Even though we're not. And we're gonna go through the NDP and, and the Green the Party. Yeah. But it's yeah, he did this, but I still mm-hmm. can't I can't we can't have conservatives because it'll be worse than having Trudeau as a as a hypocrite and, and all that stuff. So first of all, I mean that's a very, in a way, 
depressing take because it does remind me so much of the American election. It does. It does for sure. And like you said, we're not a two party system. And I think that if certain voting blocks came out, if young people came out and voted this year, and if they were all like, you know what, I don't like the liberals, I don't like Sharon, I voted for the NDP, who knows what would happen, right? Well, or you saw with Jack Layton. You saw with Jack Layton. The other thing is, we're likely heading into a minority government anyway. Hmm. So if you were to throw that support in, it could make all of the difference for people to start forming a coalition, right? And typically, coalitions have seen some of our nation's best policy. In 1972, ironically, it was Trudeau's father who needed to make a minority. And with the NDP support, they worked together and created some policies that people still talk about today. So I think that people have to stop applying an American context to everything we do. We're a different country. And I'm not saying that makes us better or worse or what have you. We are our own country with our own system, with our own problems. Mm -hmm. And I get that it's upsetting and concerning given what's been happening, not just in the States, but in other countries with some of these demagogues, so to speak. But I think people need to take a serious look at our country and a serious look at all of our leaders and decide if there is one person that they feel they can support on October 21st. Yeah. And that does not mean it is only down to Andrew Scheer or Justin Trudeau. Yeah. I mean, before this and now, I I really don't know. Like, I, I just don't know. There's, I don't, it's like, it was like the provincial election in Ontario, not the, well, the last couple. Yeah. That I don't feel that any of these parties truly represents my values mm-hmm. and what I believe in. Mm-hmm. And I hate the fact that you just have to pick um, bet- like between it just because you have, like, because you have to. I think this hurts Difficult. for people, too, because in 2015, that was the first federal election I was ever able to vote in. And I voted, I was actually living in DC at the time and I ordered a voter's kit and I felt so proud to vote. I felt so proud to vote for the party that I was voting for. And a lot of that pride has been lost. And I think that's making this that much harder. This will not, I think this will be a hopeful election, but I don't think it's, I think in a few years from now, we will have weathered some hard things and I'm hopeful that we could have come out on a different side and learned from it. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to kind of be this outwardly hopeful sunny ways election yeah that we had the last time yeah i'm i'm hoping that because this has grown into international news that this actually can perhaps you know amplify the voices of you know uh people of color journalists and and all like all these voices that we rarely get to hear from uh, on a national scale mm-hmm. But it, it helps create like a productive discussion about about the like the things we talked about off the top. You know, what are those lines? What what is racism? Like all those questions, like kind of just g- like give us the ability to have the conversation that not a lot of people are willing to have. Um, that's what I'm really c- trying to hope for. That kind of comes out of this. If I if there is a positive, that's like okay now this. The thing that seems to be a little bit divided uh, among some people has now got into international light. And we can hear from the people on why this is problematic, why this is an issue, and that it will give people a chance to understand why and maybe hope, you know, get gain some empathy towards it and, and understand perspective. And I mean, that's what I'm hoping to come from it because at, at this point, like pretty doom and gloom so i mean i think it'd be great if all of us can be kind of band together and just be like okay like let's maybe it's time we have this conversation 
I would also say, don't let this just be the only conversation. Like, again, there are people of color who write incredible journalism every day, who write incredible books, who direct incredible movies. Think a little bit about what you're consuming every single day, because maybe that has kind of shaped why you're reacting the way you're reacting right now. 100%. Right? Like, I mean, how going... many, how many, and I don't mean, sorry, I don't, I mean a collective view. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, like, how many authors of color do you read in a year if you're a reader? If you're a TV show, do you know who makes up the writing room? Do you know who's directing these shows? If you're watching movies, right? Like, what kind of movies do you go out and see? Or if you're here in Canada and you're into media, have you listened to the Canada Land Thunder Bay podcast? Have you listened to Connie Walker's Missing and Murdered podcast? Are you reading Sachi Cole? Like, there are so many different things I think that people could be doing. That would be really great steps that it would open their mind to a different perspective and would allow them to hear from the people who are directly impacted by this. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, when do the next polls like come out? Is there like a schedule? I don't know if there's a schedule themselves, but some people you can keep an eye on are Leger poll and you could keep an eye on Nick Nanos. I wouldn't be surprised if some media outlets start throwing up polls tomorrow. Mm. I would say to those media outlets, and I do not have any kind of claim over all of Canadian media but please don't do a is this a big issue or isn't this a big issue poll that is not the poll we need mm -hmm. and again if think about maybe who is who's writing your poll for something like that and think about who's in your newsroom that's mm -hmm. like if I see one of those I'm probably going to hit my head on my desk at four o'clock tomorrow morning yeah I'm in, in my own personal view I'm not a fan of the poll mm-hmm being released during election anyway. Um, my personal view is it creates a bias. That's um, interesting. Uh, to Towards something. So, for instance, and I remember, you know, being an 18-year-old voting for the first time mm -hmm. in the 2011 election. Was Yeah, 2011, when the Jack Layton election. And not, I didn't really understand any of this. Like, mm -hmm. I was just basically mm -hmm. voting on who's the coolest leader. I'm like, Jack Layton's the best. But one of the things I, that struck me, and I didn't understand it till later, is... Do I vote NV NDP because it's polling that liberals really close? Mm -hmm. And do I throw it to the NDP or do I vote liberal just to not have Harper? Um, I've it creates that automatic. It's like, you, I mean, and they're just polls. We mm -hmm. all have to understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just, but you look at Hillary and Trump too in, in 2016 that. It just creates a, at least for Canada, because we have so many parties that it creates that structure where it's like, I really like Jack Layton, but conservatives are just winning by a little bit. So I, I can't vote NDP, even though I believe in them. I got to vote liberal just to not have a conservative or vice versa. Right. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. it, it just gives you that automatic thing. Like you can see it beforehand and it kind of impacts your vote. That's interesting because I've never thought about it that way. So you've given me a lot to think about. I interviewed Nick Nanos a few weeks ago um, from Nanos Research, and he was saying that as a pollster, he thinks that everybody needs to approach polls with a certain degree of skepticism. Mm -hmm. At the same time, most of the American polls were actually pretty spot on. People were kind of ignoring them, but for the most part, they were saying people were in favor of Donald Trump. Mm. So I don't, I've never viewed them as biased myself, but I think I more view it as kind of like taking our, com our country's temperature every few weeks, right? Mm -hmm. Something's happened. Here's a new symptom. What's up? And I liked the polls because I think sometimes, especially as Canadian media, we get it wrong. So a great example of that would be SNC-Lavalin. Last time I was here, I was like, my entire world's life and breath is SNC-Lavalin. And most of the media was like that. We were obsessed with it. Canada was into it for a bit. But what happened was we covered it and covered it and covered it. And suddenly Canadians were like, 
we've actually stopped caring and we're kind of not a fan of what you're doing. Yeah. No one's listening to us. And a like, lot of apathy we have all of it. these things. And like, you guys won't do anything because all you're doing is talking about this. So what's going on? And I like polls because it's a good reminder, right? When I was in my SNC-Lavalin bubble, I probably would have thought the liberals would be way down. But Canada's sign is something different. They're like, every, like, they're saying, you know what? Out in Medicine Hat or in this part of the country, not the Ottawa bubble, mm-hmm. SNC-Lavalin didn't really matter to me as much as it mattered to you. Caroline, the journalist with her Parliament Hill press pass for the first time, yeah. right? So I like polls because when I'm thinking about how I'm covering things and what matters to your average Canadian... That can impact my newscast, right? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there's another little story about SNC-Lavalin happening. And not to say little, if there's something that matters, I will obviously cover it. But maybe there's a healthcare announcement being made, right? Maybe a new policy platform made it through the parliamentary budget office. Maybe a party leader really effed up, right? There are other things that are happening that maybe I could be covering instead of this major scandal because somewhere along the line, we all thought we were like Olivia Pope. So mm-hmm. I think that there are some there are some good reminders with polls. I'm good with polls outside, like outside mm-hmm. of elections. Mm-hmm. I don't like them in when we're in election season. That's where the issue comes in for me. I think that's where your average voter just really needs to apply that skepticism. Yeah, I like don't I think, think we do. you have to look at it and you have to kind of. I also think that you don't you don't have to read them, but I think some other things that people could do are like watch debates, right? Check out policy platforms. I think that's the most important. I think mm-hmm. Paul. I think debates have just become. It's entertainment. It's yeah, showmanship. Yeah, theater. They're theater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's who's gonna drop the one liner? Who's <laughs> gonna do the clap back? You know, like all of this—the social media, the ads, the marketing, the—it's mm-hmm. noise. Mm-hmm. It's all noise, and that's why you know. Just to bring it all back to why I wanted to have you on, because one, you know your shit about this stuff. Hell of a lot more than I do. I'm like, oh, what? Yeah, um, tax? What, what is that 13%? I, I don't know. <laughs> what are the what are the issues? What are, you know, like, what do people care about? What are parties saying about these things that people care about? That's what's important, and that's what doesn't cut through to anybody. And then you, we, we go to the polls uninformed. And you go like me, who just votes for the coolest guy or the woman. Unfortunately, it's always guys, but no, no. with respect to Elizabeth May. but I, I totally see what matters. Well, do you want to dig in? Yeah, I do. My What's first question. Go ahead. What is, what is this election issue? What is the main issue I, that people care about? So I'm actually going to answer this with a non-answer. I think that the election issue will be determined the week before the election. Mm. I think that's when most people will be fully tuned in. I think that a lot of people are still kind of like on Trump watch trying to figure out what to do or people are trying to cut through all of the noise of the controversies. I think the real election issue, something will happen that week or something will be determined that week and that will be the issue. There are a few issues that I think are heavily prominent this time around and I think they're all kind of interlinked. I think environment is one of the biggest issues. Do you think so? I do because I think it connects to so much. It connects to pipelines. I agree. It connects to the carbon tax. It connects to indigenous peoples. And I think if I were to maybe crystallize it into one way, I would look at the environment and climate change because it's even the story that right now in Canada, right? Is climate change real? Is it legitimate? Is it partisan to talk about climate change? I think that mm. could be the issue. But again, I think that issue is going to be determined around October 15th. Because hmm. I know in media and with the government, mm-hmm. you hear a lot about it. Mm-hmm. But as regular day 
mm-hmm. just interactions, you're not really talking about the environment too much. And that's what I wonder. Is that, I mean, again, you, you would know more, but is it, I guess, and that's where polls would come in, but is it, yeah, is it a really big issue? I think it is to the younger generation. <laughs> And the younger generation are the ones who will determine this vote should they decide to. So next Friday, there's actually going to be a global climate strike here in Ottawa where students across all sorts of schools are gearing up to leave school and go to a protest at 1130 for the environment. Mm. This is something we haven't really seen a lot of before. But I think that depending on who actually leaves class for this, this could be a big deal. I was also on the hill last week where there was a plastic protest and people were dumping plastics on the hill to kind of hold the federal government and the municipal government to account. So mm-hmm. I think depending on the voting block, it was young people and indigenous peoples who gave Trudeau the election last time. Mm-hmm. I do think for your average young person who is looking at climate change, but also looking at the quality of their life, the span of their life, and if they're having children, this is an issue on their mind. Mm-hmm. But I, the reason I say it, too, is because if you're a conservative voter, you may hate the carbon tax, mm-hmm. right? Right, right. And you're right. going to be blaming the environment minister. You're going to be blaming the liberal government. You're going to be blaming, blaming the Paris Accord. And that does still, to me, come back to the environment. So it doesn't necessarily mean, gotcha. in my eyes, like, Greenpeace or, like, we're so green, this is so fun. I think it's the different ways in which we're all interacting with what our environment is like today. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I think it could be. And I, like I said, this then you have the pipeline thing, right? And that's very contentious. I haven't heard about that in a long time, actually. When I think, well, so there are still some things going on. So right now with British Columbia, they're looking into certificate issues for the Transmountain Pipeline, for instance. Um, one of the things, again, if you were to look at the liberal credibility that upset many people was when they declared a state of emergency one day and then the very next day passed the Transmountain Pipeline. I didn't even realize. That was... I, I knew they did both yeah. those things, but I didn't realize that was so consecutive. That was some intense doublespeak. Or the thing <laughs> that they got called on by the Conservative Party was through um, a green initiative that the Liberals had where they gave Loblaws, the Weston family, I believe, $12 million for new fridges. And then the Conservatives were able to be like, here's this farmer from, you know, rural Saskatchewan. Why can't she get money for a fridge? And again, that does still kind of come back to this whole environment, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that could be one. Um, economy is typically one. I wouldn't be surprised if that became an election issue. I think the big thing with that is just cost of living. Cost of living is a huge one, right? Yeah. Even look at Ottawa. Ottawa, I think places, it was ranked somewhere like 13th for like the least affordable cities in the country. Yeah, I just saw that came out yesterday or yeah. at least very, and it was like the average one bedroom apartment is like fifteen or 1800 mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> and Toronto and Nova, or no, Ontario and Nova Scotia are now... Mm-hmm. Um, basically, like considered unaffordable, and that's basically if you spend thirty percent or more of your your total net income. Exactly, and to your point about cost of living, there's a lot of different things that are impacting that. Right, there was an announcement Trudeau made recently about a plan for a seven hundred and twenty nine dollar annual boost to the old age security for Canadians over the age of seventy five. Right, that's cost of living not just for a particular person, but for families who are ter- caretakers. Right. Or if you were to look at a new benefit through the Canadian pension plan. Andrew Shears had a big week where he was talking about tax credits for family, right? And he's really running a family-focused campaign. And that certainly tells a story of cost of living. With the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, he just made an announcement about a plan to provide free dental care for households making less than $70,000, right? 
very much rooted in the cost of living. And I think all of these things are the different parties applying their own lens on what the cost of living means. Mm. And Canadians will then respond in terms of what resonates to them, right? And I think that's a really great one that could be an election issue too, because all of these things are intersected, right? Whether it's the story of a family looking after an aging parent and they're struggling to go to work, so maybe the liberal plan appeals to them. Mm -hmm. Or a family that doesn't have coverage for dental care, right? Or a family that feels that some tax credits would really help them out. I think that that really is a story that's going to be told there. Yeah. that though To me, the, the cost of living... Mm-hmm. It seems to be at least in in my scope the the loudest thing that the, what I see and what I hear is the what most people are talking mm-hmm. about and that's interesting too because I think that given how Canadian media shrunk and also given that again like I said Canadian media do not always get things right they haven't really been out across the country as much so we can mm-hmm. hear from our Ottawa's and our Toronto's and our Montreal's and that's all fine and well but part of the campaigning process especially is getting on that plane and going across the country which Hopefully our leaders were doing the whole time Mm -hmm. and finding out from people. Because, again, people in other parts of the country, somebody in Nova Scotia might not care as much about SNC-Lavalin, but they might care about something else like this, right? Mm -hmm. Talk to a worker in Oshawa who maybe just found out that they've been temporarily laid off, temporarily laid off, right? They're getting their wages for now, but I'm sure there's a level of anxiety coming in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we got environment. We got economy. Yep. What what, What else is big on the agenda? I think this... I kind of want to be careful about is this big on the agenda, but I think that for somebody who's really into politics, and again, for a lot of young people who voted for this, I think a fair question is, is our democracy something I can actually believe in, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks young people came to the polls for weed, but in reality, that was actually our parents. Our parents (laughs) wanted legalized weed more than we did, although we we were very happy to take that. But young people went to the polls for electoral reform, and that was one of the first things they lost, right? And... I know I said we talked too much about SNC-Lavalin, but if you go back to that, that truly is the story about what is working and what is not working about our electoral system, right? That's why people like Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott are still being mentioned. So as we know, they were both liberal cabinet ministers. I think at the time we were talking, they still were. Mm -hmm. Now they're both running as independent politicians. And this is so interesting to me because they're really trying to make this case that you can have better politics and better policies if you work with all party members, and then it would be more constituent-based. I 100% agree with that. And one of my mm-hmm. biggest issues, I don't, I'll just come off the top and say I don't believe this democracy works. Um, to the especially in America, way more in Canada, mm-hmm. that everything falls under this the the tent of the party and what's best mm-hmm. for the party. Mm-hmm. It's not about me and my thing. It's I, again, it's more prominent in the states. It's like you can't cross the line. I vote Democrat, so even if it's a shitty policy, it's Democrat, so I gotta vote for it. It is that way to an extent in Canada. It's a liberal policy, so for the most part, liberals vote on the liberal policy and will block the conservative policy, even if it's a great policy. Or they'll block the NDP, right? Yeah, you know. And it's... you are you are not alone in this, Ryan. So many people, I think, for the past few months, and again, for all of the problems with what SNC-Lavalin was covered or what happened, I think what it did kind of show people in a very real way was maybe this isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were so many examples of that. So you talked about a good policy, right? Ronna Ambrose used to be the conservative leader. And one of her last pieces of policy before she left was saying, hey, we should train ju- judges on the impacts of sexual right. assault. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems that. very reasonable, right? She, she, I, I think that she spent many years volunteering at a rape crisis center. This was something she wanted to do. What happened to that bill? It died in Senate. 
because it took the liberals a very long time to agree to it, right? Which in theory, if you're a feminist government, this should seem like a Mm no-brainer. We talked about the climate emergency. The NDP did try to pass a motion for a climate emergency that they wanted the liberals to agree with them on. They disagreed. They did their own. And this party politics thing, I think, is really starting to frustrate people. If you look again at SNC-Lavalin, I always have this image of my mind of the House Commons Justice Committee voting to expand the investigation, and it was a liberal-dominated committee, and everyone votes no, right? And that is the reason that Jane Philpott says she left more so than anything else. Obviously, she and Jody Wilson-Raybould are quite close, but one of the things that Jane Philpott has written about at length, she actually has a blog on her um, election campaign website, is that she really wants politics done differently and she didn't like that everything was so beholden to the party, right? Because mm-hmm. once it's beholden to the party, it in a way starts to become more beholden to the leader. And that's where we're kind of doing, you kind of mentioned that American comparison. What I think went horribly wrong in the American election, and this isn't anything on the outcome, what I think went wrong with the actual election was it stopped being about the Americans and what they need and what they want and how they've been handling things, it became, will Hillary Clinton break a glass ceiling, which I'm not saying is a problem. Like, obviously, that would have been a big moment for people. Or will Donald Trump be president? And it became this about these two people, right? Mm -hmm. Or Bernie Sanders or Jill Stein, all these people thrown in. We're doing a very similar thing now, right? Where it's like, Andrew shares this person, this person, this person. Elections are about people. But they're about the people who vote. And I think we all kind of need to remember that. And so I do think, like you said, people are fed up with this system because they feel that in many ways it doesn't serve them. People don't call their members of parliament because they don't have the confidence that their member of parliament will do anything for them. Maybe like, you know, maybe if it's like I'm doing a run for a cure or I need you to like bring this issue forward. Sure. But how many people probably did call their member of parliament over things that happened in the past year and their member of parliament probably didn't do much with it? The other thing that's interesting is that in our country, do you know the most likely party where most people will actually vote against their party? No. The conservative party. Oh, really? That is the party where the most people vote against party lines. The liberals often vote together. The NDP typically vote together. The Green Party is honestly just Elizabeth May and Paul Manley, so (laughs) no problems there. But it's actually the conservative party. Which I think is just something worth noting. But I also think this rise of an independent politician, should Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott be successful, could be a really good thing for our country. Because typically the only people an independent politician is beholden to are the constituents. Mm-hmm. That just I think that creates better policymaking. It's kind of a similar line to that idea of a minority government. Mm-hmm. Do you... Th- is it possible, like, why do we have the party system? And this is just me being a complete idiot. I don't know. I really don't know. Why is it the party system and why is it not based on this whole independent thing? Because, like you said, it seems like it would be better. We're we're actually one of the few countries that kind of treats our independent politicians like a joke. Mm-hmm. I would go into the House of Commons and we'd kind of kid around about independent row. And we kind of see, like, Jane Phillips. And it's even, like, even where they're situated is a bad time. Um, they only get to speak like once a week. And for the most part, independent politicians are typically your rejected politicians or your politicians who effed up and got kicked out. So like somebody like Aaron Weir, who was kicked out of the NDP party or Hunter Tutu. But I think that, you know, an example of an independent politician who people admire and respect would be Bernie Sanders, right? He's not a Democrat. He's an independent senator. Yeah. 
no idea. Now, some might tell you that there are some problems with somebody who's not a Democrat running as a Democrat, but we're here to talk about Canadian politics. Yeah. But he's an independent politician and people respect him, right? We don't really offer that same regard in um, in Canada. And actually, it's funny because I was in Vermont recently and Vermont just operates as a very different state because, again, for the most part, Bernie can vote however he pleases or he can vote in line with the constituents. We really don't have that same respect. Our country was founded and entrenched in this party system and we've stayed stuck in that mentality. So I think that Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott, should they be reelected, could offer some legitimacy because I think for the most part, except for like your diehard, diehard liberals, most people would see them as people who were trying to be the vanguard for our democracy and they see them as people who care about politics done right. People called Jane Philpott the good doctor. She was the star cabinet minister. When they were running in 2015, she was the one that Trudeau sent on power and politics all the time, right? For the most part, she was a very popular Indigenous services minister. Jody Wilson-Raybould made history as the attorney general, right? She wrote some incredible policies. So I think that this could, if they're reelected, legitimize this sense. And that could be something over time that we see a growth of. There also have been some changes to the independent nature. People were able to ask more questions this time around. And they also, they collaborate, right? Because they have limited resources. So someone like Aaron Weir, who was kind of on his own for a while, would start handing off his questions to Jane Philpott or Jody Wilson-Raybould. Even that little collaboration is kind of hopeful in a way. Jody Wilson-Raybould, I think, has a very good shot of getting in. Jane Philpott's in for a tough, tough fight. Really, eh? Markham Stovall's a tough riding. It's kind of like half GTA, half rural riding. And I, she in and of herself is popular, but I don't know what her constituents feel about her on a day-to-day, and I don't know how they would feel about an independent member representing them. But a lot of people would tell you that if she's re-elected, that is a huge casualty from SNC-Lavalin. If she's not re-elected, that would be a huge casualty from SNC-Lavalin. Hmm. Is, is the party thing about the money? Is it about the power? Like, why... You know, say if there was an independent... Mm-hmm person in every riding Mm -hmm. in Canada Mm -hmm. and just theoretically they get voted in like why is that an issue like why do we rely on this party thing because I'm just confused why is it in place what does it matter um is it is it about the money the marketing and and the consolidation of efforts uh like what I just I don't get it you know I think part of it's a status quo thing like if you look at even in the other countries right it's a similar thing now we don't have like super packs to that degree but we have these massive, huge conventions, right? We have young liberals. You also have the idea of families voting in different ways, right? Like, I'm sure everybody has stories of that one time that one family member announced they were voting in a different way and the family, like, faints, right? Mm. I even remember reading Anne of Green Gables where at one point a conflict was that Diana's family voted for a different party than Anne. And that's, like, the 1800s, right? Mm. Like, that's something that is so ingrained in our psyche. And Canada has trouble trouble breaking the status quo i think even if you look at our leaders look at the people we've elected right we kind of have a hard time with breaking that status quo and i think too again we haven't really had independent politicians that we have viewed as credible right because like i said typically they're the people the defectors or the people who screwed up and they're kind of dicking around for lack of a better Mm. word over at the independent row. I think if we have some people who show the differences in the policy that we can make, people will trust them. Mm. But also it is a lot harder of a go when you're an independent, right? So for instance, when Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott were kicked out of the Liberal Party, they actually got crappier offices. They Mm. lost their offices. They had smaller staff. 
I was reaching out to Jane Philpott's office for some interviews this year. And instead of having like a press secretary and all of these people, she had a constituency officer who was doing all of that work when she was arguably one of the most famous people in the country for that period of time, right? You have less money, you need more fundraising, you have a lot of, you have smaller resources. So I would say in that regard, the system is kind of set up that way, right? We also have our political dynasties, for instance, Justin Trudeau, and things like that also do make it a little more challenging as well. If you're not just competing against a party, you're competing against a legacy member. Mm. Yeah, it's, to me, it's bananas that people are so ingrained and, and loyal to a party. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't get it. I really don't. Like, I, I'm a diehard liberal. I'm a diehard conservative. It's just, to me, it's like, you know, so if someone were to come along and, you know, bring better conservative policy but said they're a liberal, you'd still go blue? To me, it just doesn't make sense. And I've always had a hard time understanding why this system is the way it is and it's interesting that you know you shed some light on the on that whole thing you're an independent you get you're in the the closet so to speak like harry potter um that they've set it up that so this system is almost impossible to break and in a way i think some people would argue that it takes a real level of bravery to then run as an independent right especially when you knew what a sweet ride you had with a party, right? Like to kind of go up against that kind of machine, especially when you're Wilson Raybould or Philpot, right? You're competing against people who know you. You're competing against your friends, your former friends, people who know every single strength and every single weakness of yours, right? And all sorts of closed door talks that you and I will never know about. Mm-hmm. And they're doing all of that with so much more resources. So I think that that can be a very scary thing. I also think the flip side to that, right? Say that this election outcome really galvanizes you, Ryan, and you decide you're going to run, but you don't want to be part of a party and you run on your own as an independent. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of time. You would have to leave your job. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to run for, say, a particular riding, you would probably want to be a homeowner there. You wouldn't really have a lot of party support in that, right? Yeah. You would be on your own. And if you don't win, that could be financially devastating for you, right? Yeah. I have a friend who... Um, is trying to uh, gather the signatures to run for the Rhino Party. Because um, his take was that, kind of similar to what I said, is that he feels none of these parties Mm -hmm. represents, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't want to just not vote because he does believe in it. Mm -hmm. So he's like... I'm going to try to just run as a rhino party just as kind of like a like an, a fuck you to the to the establishment. Let's talk a little bit about the rhino party because some people I think have only ever heard of them and they're like kind of like the ultimate rejection of the system. And it's kind of like if you could vote for the Beaverton, you'd be voting for the rhino party. So the rhino party is in a way a satire. It's a satire. Party, yeah. Right. So their promise to you is that they will never have they will never work on any of their election promises. And they make some ridiculous ones. Like, I think in previous campaigns, they've promised to ban harsh winters, for instance. Or, like, you know, they've promised to, like, ban positivity or some really ridiculous mm-hmm. things. And that's the point. The other thing they do that's very funny is that they often find people with the same name as another leader yeah. to run against somebody. So, for instance, Maxime Bernier is facing off against a Maxime Bernier. And if you are a voter on his riding, I'm assuming that you'll really want to check your ballot because I'm pretty sure you want to be careful about who you're voting for. And it is a good way of saying like, hey, this system is something that upsets me or I feel like this system doesn't get me. Mm-hmm. Now, to your point about declining to vote or spoiling a ballot, again, part of having a right to vote in this country is a right not to vote. 
but you may want to consider why you complain mm-hmm. about a system. Um, so there are some things you can do. You can give it back unmarked. That's your way of kind of saying, I reject this. And so according to Democracy Watch, they actually say that this really is a good option. So that's declining to vote. If you were spoiling it, you would deface it or destroy it so it can't be read. So somebody who I won't name in the provincial election put like a sad face on their ballot. And the ballot reader like so goes through an electric scan and they can't read that, right? Mm -hmm. So you've defaced it. You could like X them all out. You know, um, I know in the States, right, people would say maybe vote for somebody who wasn't an option. I have heard some people say that they're actually going to put in Jody Wilson-Raybould's name or Jane Philpott's name as a way to kind of decline to vote. Mm. Those are things you can do. Again, that's really controversial, but it's also your own right. And again, if you're that fed up with the system, that's there. But that's also why the Rhinoceros Party is an option. And a comparable version in the provincial election would have been the none of the above party. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have the four... Five, kind of. Maxime Bernier will be in the next debate. So I know. Yeah, so we have the five. He's there. He's, yeah, they're not listed in in this little thing I printed out. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, Maxime Bernier is he going to cause some trouble to the Conservative Party? Do you think? Absolutely. The Conservative Party are at a crossroads. I think still. And again, when I told you about that week before, I think they will have decided what they're going to do the week before. So the way I see it is. We had the Harper years. Ron Ambrose tried to do a lot of rebranding. We had a very contentious leadership debate, which saw Maxime Bernier as a front runner. Then Andrew Scheer won and there was a parting of ways. Maxime Bernier is very, very far to the right. He has yeah. some very different policies. People have accused him of racism. People have accused him of all sorts of things. The Conservative Party is at this crossroads right now because they are trying to win. And they're trying to figure out how to best do that. So they have two options. They can appeal to that alt-right sentiment and steal those votes away. So for people who are tired of whatever Justin Trudeau has been saying, they don't want a progressive vote. They might have more confidence voting for a conservative party if they espoused those values, right? A signal that perhaps they are is that Sheer did not vote in any pride. Sorry, did not march in any pride parade, right? That could be one signal. That could be a quiet signal to those people that if you're kind of looking for that kind of thing, wink, here's what I did do or I didn't do. Mm-hmm. The flip side to that is the Liberal Party is undergoing a series of scandals, it would seem. And they could brand themselves as the, hey, if you kind of want people who are moderate but not incompetent, we're here, right? We're actually not racist. We're actually not sexist. That was something you heard a lot during SNC-Lavalin. There was a lot of emphasis on their female members of parliament, somebody like Lisa Raitt. Um, who's the deputy, somebody like Candace Bergen, who's the government whip, somebody like Michelle Rempel. They talked a lot about what it was like being a woman, being a woman in politics. Also, a lot of their history is rooted in female firsts in this country, and they were really leaning into that. Mm-hmm. They could also make the case of, hey, we're here. We're not as bad as you think we are, and we kind of know how to do this like government thing, right? I'm sensing right now they're still not choosing. So today, or sorry, last night when Andrew Shear spoke, and he spoke about blackface, and he called blackface racist and a mockery he was kind of leaning into that like moderate right you don't like racism i'm here saying racism is bad i have fiscal things that maybe you're comfortable with i know how to do this thing i'm kind of like a dad right that's kind Mm -hmm. of his thing come over here not marching in the pride parade though he's kind of signaling like hey i still got those values going too but they're gonna have to decide is what i've heard from some party insiders I still don't know what decision they're making, 
And I think a lot of that will be determined like three weeks from now. All right. So we still got a little bit of waiting to do. We got a little bit of waiting to do. The other thing about Maxime Bernier is that he is so unpredictable. And I don't know what he's going to be like in this debate. So a good example of Maxime Bernier's unpredictability was, do you remember when Elections Canada said that talking about the environment was considered partisan? Yeah. Okay. And everybody lost it, right? And they were saying that it's considered partisan because Maxime Bernier does not believe in climate change. He came out and defended the environmental groups. He was saying, I never wanted any of this because at his core, he believes in freedom of expression, right? Or freedom Mm -hmm. of speech. So he can really be a hard one to read. He also has some very bizarre candidates. A good example would be um, Renata Ford, wife of the late Doug Ford, who had a very, or sorry, Rob Ford, who had a very tough kind of breakup with the the Doug Ford side. So, and that's kind of a star candidate right now, but he actually also had a, party convention in Gatineau a few weeks ago so he's he's one to watch yeah that it's gonna be interesting to see and um the fact that the conservatives haven't distanced themselves from that alt-right yeah that that hardcore you know Mm -hmm. anti-immigration and Mm -hmm. still racist probably homophobic xenophobic Mm -hmm. side that they're not distant like they're they're still like Mm -hmm. like you said like they're just kind of toying like yeah we're still kind of here but now we're over here and yeah to me at this juncture that speaks volumes of what the party represents to me i agree well and so there are two things i'd say from that the other thing i didn't mention about the conservatives right now would be the justina mccaffrey controversy are you familiar with no 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 she's running as a member of parliament out in the canada carlton region so she's trying to unseat the incumbent karen mccriven who's a liberal Justina McCaffrey used to actually run a bridal store here in town. It was very popular. Lorraine Harper used to like get clothing from her. She once made, I think, a cloak for a pope. She's really good friends with Faith Goldie. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. she kind of branded it as like, well, we're not great friends. And then someone was like, here's a video of you guys trying to pitch a TV show. And Faith is like, we're super great friends. Um, and Andrew Shear, not he's keeping her on, right? He's keeping mm-hmm. Justina Justine McCaffrey on. So when you were saying to you, you think that even though some of these things like maybe aren't being outwardly said they've made their point. That's what we would call dog whistle politics. Do you know what that is? No. So dog whistle politics would be, you know, when you have a dog whistle and you blow it and only the dog can hear. Mm -hmm. So dog whistle politics is basically when a candidate is signaling something that they're trying to let one side know. It's typically very racially motivated. So maybe they'll say things that aren't outwardly racist or isn't brown face, but they'll do things that are still, trying to maybe say something about a particular race Mm -hmm. or they're trying to let people know where it is that they side right so andrew Shear, except for that one video isn't out here saying i don't believe in same-sex marriage but he's not marching in pride right he's not saying i'm an alt-writer but he's also just keeping justine mccaffrey in right so Mm -hmm. for those people who are watching he he you could argue he's sending some coded whistles or a dog whistle right oh we haven't even talked about what the prom- like what the parties are promising. Right. Well, we did touch a little bit on it with some of the talks a that we had bit. about. So I'm going to let's break it down. Okay. And what I'm going to do with this podcast is okay. I'm going to put it all out at once. Ooh. But I'm also going to cut this part starting now. Just so it's like a brief overview mm-hmm. and we're just going to go through each party. Okay, let's do it. So, let's start from the bottom and we're okay. going to work our way up. Okay. What are some of the things that Green Party is promising? What are they plat- What are they campaigning on? 
what are people saying? What What's kind of going on with the Green Party? The number one thing that the Green Party are promising is a commitment to the environment. So if people watch the first debate, I would argue Elizabeth May actually came off as the winner because it was such an, a debate focused on environmental issues. And I think she really proved that she has been talking about it this whole time. Mm -hmm. So I would say that if you're somebody who is really concerned about climate change and the environment, that would probably be your best bet if you were looking for the most educated and like the, I would say, um, the most competent leader in that regard. Okay. So I think that's a very common perception that Green Party yeah. is the environment. Yep. Do they have other things? Like, do they have plans for the economy, for yeah, so jobs? Yeah, they actually, they only just released their policy platform, I think, at the York Hotel the other day. Okay. And they do have plans for those things. Okay. Typically, those aren't the things that necessarily sing through as much. Right. But they do have plans. And so there's, pol like, those policy platforms you can find on their websites there. Okay. But I would still say that her number one messaging right now, and again, because so much of what we're talking about is pipelines and... Mm -hmm indigenous issues and carbon tax i do think that that's kind of what their main one is is there a lot of deviation from like an ndp platform in the in the green party because to me they kind of seem a little bit the same and i think what a little scares a lot of people off of them is tax and we know tax yeah canadians do not well North America, Western society does not like tax. Well, and you also talked about the idea of affordability, right? And that yeah. often comes down to the story of social services or cuts, right? Yeah. And so typically an NDP government will be promising services with the implication that we're spending more. Mm -hmm. Whereas a conservative government will say, you got to lose some to win some, mm -hmm. right? Um, the Green Party is typically similar in that line. They're also, Elizabeth May is an interesting person because she's also a very devout Catholic, right? And you don't often see that in a progressive leader, right? The only mm -hmm. other leader we really see that in is Andrew Scheer. And that's also why one of the things that she's been touching on a lot right now is abortion. That's already come up quite a bit with her. And that was kind of asked if she, what her stance was and if she would reopen the abortion debate. And so she said that she was happy to have somebody in her party who disagreed with abortion, but she still views the law as the law, which is actually a very similar to the conservative sentiment. So the Green Party is a bit of mm. an enigma in that regard. Interesting. Because the NDP would have more of a zero tolerance policy on that sort of thing. And they're also not headed up by a devout Catholic. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking through, um, I mean, I think the the Bible, I guess, that people should be looking at is McLean's. They have a mm -hmm. platform guide. Mm -hmm. and I think CBC kind of does too. They have... Um, Political Compass? Is that what Yeah, I loved Political Compass. Yeah. I took mine. Um, I'm not going to share what my results were. <laughs> but that was a really, really good one. Yeah. So a couple of things that I'm seeing is um, they're going to be, uh, they, they want to balance the budget within mm -hmm. five years. Mm -hmm. So that's something. Um, a couple of things that I'm looking. So they do want to obviously tax a little, a little bit more. But mm -hmm. so a couple of things that stand out to me. Um, eliminate the 50% corporate meals and entertainment expense. So they want to reduce some of the government spending mm -hmm. uh, within themselves. Um, you know, a couple other things here that it looks like they're working at jobs. And I don't I, I just don't feel a lot of people take the Green Party seriously. And I don't know if I should either. You know what? I think the problem is their leader. <laughs> um, really? Elizabeth eh? May is a controversial person. She always has been. I think she's always going to be. Um. I would say a few things about Elizabeth May. You know, she's had some of her problems before. She often doesn't present herself as a policy as a policy person. 
And I think that that can often be really tough. Um, the other problem is that if you look at a party that's rooted in the environment, that should be a party that is chock full of young people. And it never really is, right? Mm. And that always kind of makes me wonder what might be going on if there isn't really that sort of excitement or that enjoyment or that want to be there. Right. But she has some strong moments. Like I said, I would argue she typically almost always wins debates. Um, The other thing I appreciate about her this go around is when she released her policy platform last week, she said she knew she wasn't becoming prime minister and she made the case for minority government. And she made the case that she could be the figure to make that happen. And I think that is a smart, smart move because she's not asking for too much, but she's saying that if you take her seriously and if you're concerned, and especially if she's saying, and if you don't want a conservative government, and she's always come out very strongly against the conservatives, she could be the person to save you. And I think that is a smart, smart strategy. Right. Um, yeah, not a whole lot else coming out from them. There are a couple things. You know, they want to review all NATO commitments. So that could be a sign of reducing military spending and, and platforms. And I, again, all this stuff, I encourage you listening to go uh, have a listen to it. But it'll be interesting to see that if that, that minority government, you know, movement can, can be pushed between there. And between the NDP, right? If you kind of have the Green Party and the NDP together, they will have a lot that kind of... Hmm. I think they'll have a lot that will impact people for sure. So the NDP, from what yes. I'm seeing, a they're the ones who have the most information. They yeah. have the most information out right now. They have tons of information. They yeah. have policies coming out every day. Yeah. So their policy platform is called A New Deal for People, New Democrats Commitment to You. And if you go on their website, it is just split up into all sorts of different things. You can also search an issue that matters to you and it'll pop up that way. So they're talking affordability. They're talking economy. They're talking climate change. They're talking reconciliation. They're talking about lots of different things. Mm -hmm. So what they've done that's very smart is their very first policy piece that they've listed is making life more affordable for everyday people. And that, you mentioned how excited you were to vote for Jack Layton. That's really calling back to the Jack Layton days. Mm -hmm. Because Jack Layton really was looking at this as a union man. He was looking at this as your average worker, your blue-collar worker. And then things changed with Tom Mulcair. So a few things that they're talking about here is medicine for all. They're talking about making sure everyone can afford a place to call home. They're looking at affordable post-secondary education, and they're looking at childcare when you need it. Childcare was also something that inspired many people to vote for the NDP in the provincial election as well. Mm-hmm. Um, two of the big things is I think in Ontario, mm-hmm. people are absolutely terrified of the NDP mm-hmm. going back to Bob Ray days. Mm-hmm. And they are. all high of ever heard about NDP is you can't vote for them because they just they spent that is a fear yeah for sure now there have been examples of people who have done things differently a really good example would be Rachel Notley for instance right she was an NDP leader who did things very differently but you are right like now what they would tell you is that that is the price of goods and services Mm -hmm. right so for all of those people who have maybe been complaining about cuts in Ontario and don't like those, the NDP would tell you, well, we're not going to cut things, but we are going to be putting in money. So I think a lot of what an election too is compromises. Mm -hmm. And so they would tell you that that's their compromise. If you care about childcare, if you want Medicare, 
if you want this new deal we're offering you, it's a deal, right? It's going to be between us, the party, and you, the Canadians. Mm -hmm. And I think it's his way of kind of showing, like, we're willing to do things differently. We're willing to kind of show you that we care about you, right? I think a really great example of this was that right now they're actually campaigning on a national auto policy to save auto jobs. And again, when we talk about those, like, golden NDP days, that's where it was. Not so much in some of this kind of like, I'm a highbrow progressive who has a master from McGill, right? Mm -hmm. It's this, I care about the everyday person. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, when you look at NDP, Mm -hmm. that screams, you know, socialist, communist, and that's going to terrify a lot of right-wingers away. Mm -hmm. Over the years... Mm -hmm. Well, I start off, and I still believe I'm I'm more on the left than I am the right. I have started to understand, especially working in a corporation and for-profit business, how the world works mm-hmm. and how it's currently set up, mm-hmm. and understanding the point of view of you know libertarians and free market and government, and not necessarily that I agree, but I understand their point of view a lot more. So when I look at you know, one of the things they want to do is put a a, a tax on the 1%, over $25 million, mm-hmm. a luxury tax, yep. and on all that type of stuff. What that says to me is that's going to scare a lot of businesses away and a lot of rich people who want to invest in Canada. Mm-hmm. Do you see it the same way? Does everyday Canadians... Because when you get a lot to progressives... Mm-hmm and it's not right or wrong that yeah they want the government to do more and they want corporations to do more and i agree corporations especially should have a lot more of a responsibility in Mm -hmm. in things right now we still live in a capitalist system where money trumps everything yeah and i don't know if businesses will support an ndp government i would say a few things to that number one again one of the most popular politicians bernie sanders is a socialist so there is some momentum there that is American. But that's for the, the people, yeah. not the business. And right now, business drives society. Business at this does. Point, at this point. But I also think that, again, right, like, the rich make up a very small percent of us. Mm-hmm. And if we were to look at this holistically again, right, you said you were very concerned about our democracy. If you're concerned about our democracy, you're probably then concerned about who has power, right? The Irvings have a lot of power, right? the very small few who have all of this money in our country. And I think if you really wanted to break that system, part of that would include breaking that hold that the wealthy have on Canada, right? Mm -hmm. So again, that's why people got so pissed off about that Loblaws thing, right? People do get scared, but they also get angry, right? Mm -hmm. Why are you giving Loblaws all this money? They can afford fridges. I can't afford fridges, right? Mm -hmm. And that was across party lines when people are saying that. Now, I do agree. There is a level of fear that comes towards the NDP. This happens a lot. But I do think that they are kind of making the case for some other things, right? They're talking about things like auto jobs. Like, they're looking at this very holistically. Mm -hmm. But they have been upfront that they will be taxing the rich. Again, I think people also forget how incredibly rich the rich are in this country. So I don't think it means our businesses will stop. Yeah, but what I I just wonder, and Mm -hmm. it's a wonder out loud, is... Will they pull business? Will they move biz- like their business away? Will they will they go into America? You know what I mean? It's just yeah. The honest answer I have is I don't know. Yeah, I know. We've never seen them govern on a federal level. And I definitely 
would love to see some sort of change mm-hmm. in terms of the power dynamics of how corporations have on us mm-hmm. and on society and that the NDP, honestly, truly, the NDP seems like it would be the best for the people um, in terms of overall life, at least at this point. I, I can't say how everything would play out. But like, I just, knowing what I know about for-profit businesses, I think there would be a lot of hurt before things also got better. And I, that just, that, that's the, are we willing to risk it? Well, and that's also what you're seeing now, right? That I think the conservatives in Ontario are arguing, right? People are complaining left, right, and center about services being caught. And it's that act, the exact thing you said is what the conservatives are saying, right? You need the hurt before we can fix things, right? Mm -hmm. If you voted for the conservatives in 2018, you were probably voting because you wanted us to fix the deficit. We got to cut things to fix the deficit, which means you're going to have to hurt. Mm -hmm. So I do think sometimes those are tough, tough choices people have to make. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too, right, where it kind of goes back to the problem with our political system is people may not always be aware they're making those choices when they get to the ballot box, right? If you're only voting on SNC-Lavalin or you're only voting on something Andrew Scheer said or you're only voting on do I know if I trust this person to be a leader, you might not be voting on some of those things that will impact your day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Is uh, Jagmeet saying that – did I say it right? Jagmeet. Jagmeet. Yeah. My apologies, sir. Um, is he a strong enough leader? Because I truly don't believe that rural Canada is ready to – endorse a minority yeah so there are a few things to come out of this first of all one of i think the most jarring things going back to the brown face incident today was i believe there was a poll that kind of said that most canadians are not ready yet for a leader wearing a turban yeah and then this brown face thing breaks right and if there was anything that told a very upsetting story of our country it would probably be those two images Mm -hmm. we're both from rural canada i'm not saying this in any kind of pitying light or, you know, a stereotypical light or to kind of replace some attitudes because let's be real, people in rural Canada can have some very troubling attitudes. At the same time, where has Jigmeet been? Has he been in a minivan driving across rural Canada, meeting with people like my grandparents? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Right? You have to go out and see them. This was the same thing with the provincial election, right? I feel like all of Toronto got really mad that Doug Ford won, but none of them stopped to think about why that would be. Rural Canada, we, as especially as we saw in the provincial election, felt forgotten, right? We're here in Ottawa. We're here in Toronto. We're here in Montreal. We're in our bubble. Yeah. Whereas some people in rural parts of this country don't have dial-up, right? Or they have dial-up. They don't have broadband. Mm-hmm. They can't write a resume or send it in because their internet's not working. They can't even participate in the digital economy, right? They feel that they've been vilified for farmer, being farmers. They feel that all of these things have happened. And a lot of this is trust-based, right? Typically, the people that do well are the ones who they see. So, for instance, if you were to look at the Carlton writing where Pierre Polyev is the member of parliament, right? A very controversial guy. He's very good about canvassing. People know him. He's out there all the time. I think he's already canvassed four or five times, like, in, like, just a little bit before the writ dropped. He does it often, right? They need to meet you and see you. Mm-hmm. I personally have felt that Jagmeet Singh, this has been one of my biggest problems with him. I don't think he's really given rural Canada a fair shot. And that also upsets me because he has some strong MPs who represent rural parts of the country. 
like Charlie Angus, who represents Timmins James Bay, right? He represents a super interesting writing because it's very rural, but mm-hmm. it's also very indigenous focused. So he can speak to a wide variety of people. Why not get him in a bus and go across and speak to some of the people, right? Because a lot of these issues do tend to be universal to a point, And he can speak to it like that. And over time, Jagmeet Singh will pick it up. But I do feel that he has been largely absent from that place. Hmm. And in that case, that does kind of take away from his leadership. Right. It's the same thing that got Trump elected, right? Like, mm-hmm. And Doug pe- Ford. Yeah, people don't respect the people who live outside of the mm-hmm. of our bubbles in the cities and mm-hmm. in, in the urban settings where we're surrounded by diversity and, and we, you know, we, we kind of get it and we, we talk to progressive people in universities and people with all these ideas. Whereas when I go, even just 30 minutes west of Ottawa, those same conversations aren't necessarily happening as, as much. And you just, you see it. They, they're just, they're fiercely conservative. And I also haven't seen a lot of media there. Part of that problem is, especially with the Metroland closure, some really good local papers are no longer there. Mm -hmm. And local papers are an incredible resource. They're such a great archive and record of what is mattering to people. And that's also a way for people to have their voices heard, right? I haven't seen a ton of profiles from, I'm not even going to name organizations, but most of the mainstream media on some of these different rural places, right? What has it been like in rural Canada over the past four years, right? What are, do they care about SNC-Lavalin? What do they care about, right? And I also think people will surprise you. I was in Manatic in the height of SNC-Lavalin and somebody who owned a small business actually had one of those boards that they bought out and they wrote like, we support you, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Thank you for your integrity. And that I interviewed that person and that was like a, a heavy duty conservative who did that. Hmm. So I think that a big part, especially number one for the media is if we're telling that story, it's the story of the voters. So we need to go talk to them. And if you're interviewing for that job, the one thing, too, that people forget about rural voters is they do typically tend to be extremely conservative, as you said. They also vote. It's the cities and the progressives and the young people who often don't do that. Rural Canadians are almost assured to make it to the polls. And I think a lot of it now is even more so because they do feel that their voices have been left behind. And if there's one way to make your voice loud and heard, it's to vote, right? And it's to win that vote. Yeah, that's a lot of people in cities talk a lot of game, but don't they don't walk the walk or they don't they make it up an excuse or and it's it's really unfortunate because you see it reflected. I, I'm interested to see what the total number will be of who votes. Um, Let me tell you, rural Canada will be there. Yeah. Um, anything else to add on NDP? Um. The other one, like I said, I think the free dental care plan is a really interesting one where they said that they're going to be making that available to homes making under $70,000. And according to the NDP, that will provide 4.3 million people with care. And so I think that's huge. That's huge. Right. And it's also, again, like you and I know this little things add up to the cost of your life every single day. And I do think that is a good example of somebody who's kind of looking at the idea of what are these little things and what do they mean? Mm hmm. Um, yeah, you, they want the uh, universal uh, pharmacare mm-hmm. system as well. Yep. So everyone gets their medicine paid for uh, by the government. So uh, free tuition. That's um, a huge one. You know, and you see it basically think about Finland, Sweden, mm-hmm. Switzerland, Denmark, yes. Scandinavia, all those places that also have a very high quality of life. And NDP are kind of trying to match that. 
Yeah. Conservatives. All right. I have my notes. Let's take a little <laughs> look at what they are. We've talked about them a little bit. We have. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a whole lot out right now. A lot of it has been just don't vote Trudeau, vote, vote us. Right. This has been a lot of it. Yeah. They've also brought out an old an old favorite of theirs, Stephen Harper, brought him back into one of the ads, right? Oh, uh, yes. Really, really making Their a champion. point. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I saw they, they wanted to do some tax uh, credits right. to families. So this is kind of your, like, classic conservative handbook right now. So I would say, like, the number one thing that you're going to be looking at in this election from the conservatives is an economic pledge, which is their universal tax cut. So they say that this could save families about $850 a year, and they would be reducing some income taxes for those who make less than $47,000 a year. And so they're saying that that's based on households with two people working full-time. The other thing Shear said he would do is that he would bring back a public transit tax credit if he was elected. So he says that he'll let users, transit users, claim up to 15% they spent on passes. So think about the week we've had in our city with LRT, mm-hmm. And with the OC Transpo, this is actually personal for him. So I don't know if you remember this like sheer so poor hashtag that was trending. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. another example of politics done dirty. So um, sheer kind of talked about growing up in a townhouse and not having access to a bus line, and people started doing this hashtag sheer so poor. I would say as much as we're holding the liberals to account for some of the things they've done, or sorry, as we're holding anybody to account, you know. The reality is Trudeau did grow up very rich. He is one of those dynasties and he is elite. Was Sheer the poorest of the poor? No. But Sheer is one of those stories of somebody who kind of worked to where they are, right? Mm -hmm. And he's somebody who grew up and didn't, his family didn't have a car. So I think this is a really good example of something that's a personal one that makes sense. He's often not good though at sharing those personal stories because I think if people like, if he was like, I get it, I know what it's like to depend on this and have to pay for this, but sometimes I find he doesn't communicate that To well. me, he seems like a robot. A lot um, of people feel this way. <laughs> he kind of seems devoid of emotion. Mm-hmm. I don't say this. Mm-hmm. He remi- like reminds me of someone with psychopathic tendencies. Oh, whoa. <laughs> in the sen- or sociopath, in the sense that he doesn't look you in the eye. Mm-hmm. Kind of shifty, mm-hmm. um, like keeps his distance, kind of tells you what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Almost like he acts like emotion, like acts an emotion rather mm-hmm. than displays it. He's a very scripted guy. Yeah, I don't know. That's why I don't know him. Like, I can't say like these mm-hmm. things. This is what I see how he presents himself. That there's just, it's like a cold wall. So I got a few things with this. First of all, um, party insiders, not big fans of his for the most part. When you look back at that federal leadership race, I think part of the problem was there were too many people running and you had some intense people, right? This was when Kevin O'Leary was running. Right. This was when Kelly Leach released that video where it looked like she was being held hostage, right? There was that whole Michael Chong situation. There was a lot going on. He kind of came out of nowhere and got this leadership bit, right? And people like, I remember being at a journalism conference in British Columbia and journalists who like I've looked up to and admired were like, who's Andrew Shear?" right? Like he really came out of nowhere Some people do have some questions about how he got that leadership. And the other problem, too, again, was that he had... Ronna Ambrose was strong. She was the perfect person to fight against Justin Trudeau, right? She's a woman. So whenever he did all this feminism stuff, there was very easily something for her to throw Mm -hmm. back. 
she was fiscally conservative, but socially a little more progressive, right? She was the one who brought Malala over to address the House of Commons. She's the one who, like I said, put forward that sexual assault bill. She was proving that just because you're conservative doesn't mean you're a certain way. Andrew Shear has not done a ton to pick up that torch, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's also very frustrating for people. And she was a woman full of personality, and it doesn't really shine through as much with him. Now, there are some things people like. He drives a minivan, which is very, like, middle class. Um, but I will say... It's <laughs> an act. It's got to be. But there, like, there, there are definitely, I think, some problems with him. And that's why, at the beginning of this, you mentioned that fear of people voting conservative over liberals because they're mad at the liberals or the fear of having a conservative government. And I think the number one reason there is that fear is because people are scared of Sheer because they don't know him. Mm, that's a good point. Um, a lot of stuff I see as well is kind of like that United States fear-mongering type policies. So I see some stuff like they don't want, uh, they'll bar Huawei from participating in 5G networks. They'll work on a inter-continental um, ballistic system. Mm -hmm. Like, kind of like these things that, like, it, it seems like no one really cares about, in my opinion. Or at least I don't see people outwardly caring about them. And um, all the things we kind of talked about, like, you know, cost of living, environment, they don't have a lot to say. There's a universal tax cut. Now, to the environment part, they do have a lot to say. So he calls it the real plan to protect the environment. Okay. And he says that it won't be taking money out of Canada's pockets. So the way they say to do this is that they're going to be promising that big polluters will have to pay money into a technology fund. And that's where they kind of make mention to Canada's Paris agreements. Now, the one thing is it doesn't actually estimate the emissions reductions for the next 11 years, which is where we're looking at those 2030 targets. So that is something that a lot of people have called them out for. The other thing that obviously comes out of this is the carbon tax. So if you've heard of conservatives and you've heard of carbon tax, I think we all know where they stand on this. Now, the one thing that the conservatives haven't mentioned is that there is a rebate for the carbon tax. And I think a lot of people are getting frustrated that they mentioned one without the other. Mm -hmm. I, I, thanks to that rebate, it was the first time I got money back on my taxes in a couple of years. It was kind of great. <laughs> there you go, right? So those are things that people would want to know. The other thing in terms of environment is that they're big into this capture and storage method, which they say is a way of stopping CO2 from reaching the atmosphere. But some critics say that this is actually unreasonable because it doesn't actually exist. So <laughs> hmm. Interesting. I think in Ontario, you see what Doug Ford has done and the policy his government has put forth. Yep. And that turns a lot of people off, not just for the cuts. Mm -hmm. Those speak for themselves. But the fact that it seems every time the Ford government tries to do something, they have to walk it back because people go get go ballistic over it. And this is another interesting point. So early on in the House of Commons, when SNC-Lavalin was dying down before the writ was issued, before this week went to hell... There was an interesting play being made by the Liberals. Their early strategy seemed to be that they were alleging that Andrew Shear was more of a puppet. And again, kind of going back to that personality void some people seem to see from him. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of saying, like, Doug Ford's really running the show. So I don't know if you've noticed, Doug Ford's been kind of staying away from yeah. Andrew Shear right now. And for a long time, that would be the Liberals' number one talking point. Like, you only care about this because Doug Ford said it first. Or Doug Ford's controlling this. Or you're doing what Doug Ford says. And they're at this weird position now where they're trying to show that Andrew Shear is the leader. 
And that would be concerning for them. But obviously, many parties are facing many more Mm -hmm. concerning things. But I do think that for especially for Ontario voters who do not like what they've seen from Doug Ford, that's probably somewhere floating in the back of their mind. Mm -hmm. And that's where we go back to that ever ending story of the don't vote this party because you're mad at this party. And people forget that we have other parties, too. Yeah. Um, I think one thing important to note when it comes to conservative is the movement across Canada and the provincial elections that have all been going conservative. This will be an election to watch, which people say every election season, and I believe every election is going to watch. <laughs> it is. It's but important. the way that it's almost been for quite some time is that whatever the provinces are, the majority will flip. That's kind of been like, it's typically been that the federal leader is not the same party as the provincial leader. Hmm. So if we're going by tradition, that could be good news for liberals. It could be good news for a majority. Elizabeth May, if lightning strikes or Jagmeet Singh. But if it is conservatives, that's a different playing field for us that I don't think we've experienced in quite some time. Hmm. Because it would mean a huge coalition, right? We see that all the time already. You see Doug Ford, who has a good coalition going on with Scott Moe, who's the premier of Saskatchewan, Brian Pallister, who's the premier of Manitoba, and Blaine Higgs, who's the premier of New Brunswick. They meet regularly. They're on the same page. They were kind of throwing those um, Supreme Court challenges to the carbon tax. They work very well as a faction. And if they had Andrew Scheer on their side too, that's kind of a different game for politics right now. Mm -hmm. But it would also still pose that question of who's the leader out of that group. Yeah, interesting. Anything else to add on the conservatives? Um, let me think about what were some of the other things. The other one that they have talked about is Sheer sent out a letter in the summer to provinces and territories basically saying that if he was elected as prime minister, the conservatives would increase the health and social transfer payments by at least 3% each year. And the liberals have jumped on that saying that that is absolutely phony because they said that um, Doug Ford cut that in Ontario. So what does that mean quickly just cole's notes like the health transfer tax so he basically is saying that this would kind of be a way to balance the budget and still kind of get make sure that people have the health care that they're looking for but this has been super controversial bill morno's basically said that she's ignoring the new formula for health which means that there is already according to the liberals a plan in place for three billion dollars in cuts over the next few years so that's just federal government putting money to the provincial government exactly gotcha okay Mm -hmm. huh so that's what's up with them a lot of he he said she said type thing going. it is definitely the liberals choose forward yeah they they've almost done i I don't see any information i think it's why they're just like we're just gonna keep going the way we've been going that's basically what they're if i were to crystallize it in a nutshell it'd be like If you're okay with the past four years, let's keep this going. Gotcha. The other thing, though, that you could look at that would be if you cared about some of those policy platforms that died in Senate. So things like the bill on the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, something like that sexual assault bill, they're saying, well, let us try again. So some people are very on board for that. Some people feel it's a dirty, dirty move. Hmm. So that is something that we're going to see. Now, again, this is going to be the battle of the... um, the battle of the middle class. Now, the economy's actually been fairly strong under the Liberal government, so that is definitely something that they can tout. But there are some things that we're going to see. So, again, the carbon tax will be something that we're going to see. They're going to be talking about that rebate. I would say a lot of his image, again, really does rely on the environment. 
So some of the things that we'll be looking at would be their records. So a ban on oil tankers off of British Columbia, public transportation again. But they also don't have fully complete platforms on everything. So Justin Trudeau said that an energy strategy would be an ongoing dialogue, not a concrete document. Hmm. That's going to annoy a lot of people. And I think, again, people are going to feel that there's going to be a bit of a like a bit of a divide between what they're saying and what they're doing. So like that climate change emergency slash pipeline plan, I think that's going to be something that they're really going to have a problem with. Now, you mentioned crime and security. They're not really report. They're not really going to be working on this tough on crime kind of thing. One thing of note, though, with Trudeau is that under the Trudeau government, Public Safety Canada listed white supremacy for the first time as a terrorist group. Right. So I'd be surprised to see kind of what would come out of that. And then there was also Bill C-59 that overhauled some security laws. But like you said, I'm not seeing a ton of policy from them because I think their big thing is that they're just kind of going with the flow. Indigenous issues, same thing. Not a big platform, which is interesting because 2015 was the year of reconciliation, right? Mm -hmm. And now they're kind of like, well, we'll keep on doing what we're doing. Now, that being said, under their government, we did see the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls inquiry tabled. So that is something that we would probably see them continuing that dialogue again. Mm -hmm. A lot of that will depend on an Indigenous vote, though, and I'm interested to see how people will vote. I've met, you know, through the mm -hmm. the station upstairs and, and, you know, through some of my connections now doing the podcast, I've, I've come into contact with people mm -hmm. in the Indigenous community. They really don't like Trudeau. No, they don't. Um, not at all. No. Because, okay, so I can't speak for every Indigenous group. I'm not an Indigenous no. person. But there has always, I think, been a sense of that the government, like maybe you and I think the government's here to protect me. If you're an Indigenous person and you're looking at trauma, it's the government that put families in residential schools. It's the government that has allowed sterilization. It's the government that has allowed the millennial scoop, right? In the Ontario government, there are actually planes that cannot be flown into First Nations because those are the planes that were used to take children away. And there are family members that still know that, whose their families are broken apart still, or they're still so traumatized by it that they cannot see those planes, right? So the relationship with government is different. We're on unceded land, right? It's a very different relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really an important part of this. I think that the reason people don't like Trudeau either is because I think people, especially in Indigenous communities, feel like they've been played by Trudeau. They feel like, like pawns, they've been, yeah. yeah, they've been props that they never really mattered, right? And the part of that too is a lot of Indigenous peoples have put in a ton of work with this government for very little result. So for instance, there's a woman I know who works for a youth-based organization and she spent a long time working on a Truth and Reconciliation Commission roadmap for young Indigenous peoples in this country. And she worked on it. She worked on it. She got a letter from Carolyn Bennett, who is the Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations, basically saying that, thank you for your work, but you're not going to be getting any money. And she put all of this money into one group. So it seems like a huge, big announcement. I think it was like $15 million for one group. But there were many Indigenous peoples who were kind of saying, well, we did all this work for you, too. Why was that? Mm -hmm. So there's that. Then you have your Jody Wilson-Raybould camps, which I think is already a given at this point. And then you also have some of the questions. I'm, you know, one of the things that's happened a few times too was the Grassy Narrows protester, right? When the woman yelled at him at the benefit. So, do you remember this? Oh, is that the uh, thanks for your donation, or is that something else? 
yeah, so this was the, I think it was the McDonald Club okay. or the Laurier, the Laurier Club, where it was like a fundraiser and it was like 15 grand a person to get in. And this indigenous protester yells, what are you going to do about Grassy Narrows, where people are still experiencing the impacts of mercury poisoning. And he, Trudeau sarcastically says, thanks for your donation, as the mm-hmm. girl's getting dragged away. Right. So I think those are some of the things that, again, not everybody, but some indigenous voters who are especially invested in this will have when they think about Justin Trudeau. Yeah. I don't, in my heart, I don't believe he's a bad person. Um, and I don't, I kind of don't want to believe it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Man, that guy has made some incredible missteps. I think it would be hard to believe he's a bad person because people voted at him with this hope. Yeah, I think that's what it is. But when you see some of those things, right? So some people have been saying that, you know, the brown face, the black face, even Elbowgate, even like the thanks for your donation. Some people will tell you that that's him showing who he really is, right? He's a dynasty kid at heart. Mm-hmm. When you think about dynasty kids and what they get away with or what they think is appropriate to do, you see glimpses of those in him. He's built up this like salt of the earth, high school teacher persona. He's not. Mm -hmm. He taught in high school. That's fine. He doesn't live on a high school wage. Right. He went to some of the best schools. He had a very different lifestyle. And I think that people find it frustrating that it's kind of been brushed over. But then every now and then, if he's maybe feeling smug or if he's upset and he's lashing out, you kind of see that 19-year-old kid who was probably getting away with God knows what that maybe a black kid or an indigenous kid wouldn't be getting away with. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Listen, what do we got? We got six weeks? <laughs> six weeks left? Um, five weeks? October 21st is the mandated election day. It's going to be a hell of a five weeks. It's going to be so long. <laughs> Um, we're not, what, 10 days into it? Not even. I know. And, uh, it's just, it's constant every day. A lot of people feel exhausted by it already. Yeah, I get it. Um, I can't imagine, like, shout out to the journalists who have to cover this crap every day. Especially those people on the campaign plans who aren't at home, who aren't cooking their own food. Hats off to you. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what's, I I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm going to vote for. I'm going to pay attention to the next couple of weeks very closely. And like you mm-hmm. said, that, that week leading into it and yeah. really see what people are saying. But mm-hmm. to me, at this point anyway, it's anybody's race. I agree with you. I think that it was anybody's race already. And I think that what's kind of come out of the past few days has only really cemented that. Yeah. But I would say to those people who, especially young people or people who aren't voting or who feel kind of let down, please vote like for the people who like I think for people who have like a strained relationship with the government it's different and I get that but for there are countries in this world where you don't have the right to vote people die for this people die for this also we have seen time and time again the difference that the young vote makes regardless if we vote or not right when we voted in 2015 that election changed the course of everything When they didn't vote in 2018, it changed the course of everything. I think all you need to do is vote. You do not need to be the most aware person on every issue. Sometimes we make the system seem a lot harder than it is to figure out. If there's one thing you care about and there's one person who speaks to something that you care about, you should vote. And again, I think we forgot somewhere along the line that these leaders work for us. So if you're mad at Justin Trudeau, if you're happy with Justin Trudeau, if you're inspired by Andrew Scheer, if you want Jagmeet Singh to be our leader, if Elizabeth May speaks to something in you, 
you need to vote. Figure out who your member of parliament is. Who else is running? Have they come to your door? And if there's one thing that matters to you in this election and you can figure out what that is, like we said, the CBC vote tracker is great. See how they speak in a debate. Do they come across like they're succeeding in a job interview? What do their policy platforms have to say? Give it a try. If you live in this country, you're qualified to vote. Bam. Um, where can people find you? Where can they listen? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at the C O'Neill. And I did notice a spike in my Twitter followers last time I was on here. So a big thanks oh, to you, Oh, hell Ryan. yeah. Yeah. Um, I appreciate following you because you do the live tweeting stuff. And Thank you. Um, you're a hell of a lot smarter than me at this type of stuff. No. So I appreciate you being informed and putting the work into this and for coming on and at least talking about it. Thanks um, for having me. It's great. And I think it's really important that everyone kind of gets a sense of where, where they want to go with it because four years of our lives, if not more, depending on the policies, you know, rides on this type of stuff. So um, it's important we get out there. I agree. All right. Carolyn, thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.